Welcome in. You know, I was just listening to Fox News there, and and I heard the Rashida Tlaib audio, where calling for a ceasefire isn't enough now. Now that's not enough, which is the reason why she was going out and telling voters to vote uncommitted, because we needed a ceasefire, a long-term ceasefire. Okay, we're moving the goalposts now. And 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 Brian, I'd love for you to send a note to her office, please. Let, let, let's extend uh, an olive branch here. I'd love to get her on because she just talked about needing a, a, a long-term solution here. And I guess my question is, what is that? What is the long-term solution? Because there have been a number of long-term solutions in place over the many, many years. But the reality is the long-term solution of some particularly those in the region, like Hamas, like Iran, is that that they would like Israel to, to go away. They'd like Israel to not no longer be on the map. That's the, that's the solution for some. Now, for others, that's not the solution. But I'd like to know what that long-term solution is. What, what is that? What does that look like in 2024? Because it feels like this is so much bigger than, well, we just need a solution. Let's let's just find a solution. No, no, no. What is that? What is the solution? Because it, it feels like, I don't know. I, I, I heard that audio. <laughs> it just drove me crazy. Because that's easy. That's simple. That's, that's, it's easy to just call for a, uh, we need a solution. I'd like to, you know what? Can we find a solution for the Detroit Pistons? I think I think Troy Weaver, Weaver just needs to find a solution. Oh, really? What does that look like? Probably dumping the entire roster and starting over again. Like, what? What is the solution? It's easy to call for one, but I, short on on answers there. And look, is it realistic that probably we need some sort of two-state solution in order to to try to bring peace and stability to the region? Of course, yes. But it's very difficult for me to get up here and tell you what that looks like. Because this is so deep-rooted. This isn't just about October 7th. This isn't just about the IDF's offensive in Gaza. It's not. This has been going on forever. It's been, it's so much more than just the last, you know, three, four, five months. It's, it's just so much more than that. And so it's, to me, that's, that's, that's a, a dog whistle. That's just a buzzword for you to fire up a constituency. And I don't think that's fair in this situation. Offer the solution. But but we we're we're short on that answer, unfortunately. Uh, also, breaking news uh, today, where dozens of people killed in Gaza, Gaza City. Uh, in fact, some outlets reporting more than 100 people killed, hundreds injured, after Israeli forces opened fire on a crowd of people waiting for humanitarian aid. Now, I, I am seeing contradicting reports. Israel saying that 
the casualties were caused by a stampede as people in Gaza City scrambled to reach the convoy of, of aid in trucks. Uh, Israeli forces opened on fire on the crowd of people who approached soldiers in a manner that they thought were threatening, but they didn't open fire on the crowd. But most of the, these deaths, according to the IDF, uh, as as an investigation is underway, uh, are that 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 these were these deaths were related to to a stampede. And some reports that I've seen, the reason that these folks are so gung ho about going to get this aid for for obvi- I mean aside from the obvious reasons like they need it, is that members of Hamas raid these convoys and there is less to go around then for for the civilians. And that to me is is troubling as well. But there is an investigation going on. Uh and 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 hopefully we'll we'll gain some sort of clarity. We'll gain some sort of understanding what happened here. Because this is another uh incredibly deadly situation in Gaza City. Uh meanwhile, more controversy surrounding the Michigan State University Board of Trustees. An independent report says several members violated university policies and bylaws and that they should be rem- uh, recommended for removal by Governor Gretchen Whitmer. WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne joins us for that story. Hi, Marie. Hi, Chris. So the university retained an outside law firm to investigate 10 allegations that trustee Brianna Scott lodged against board chair Reva Vassar last October. The allegations included violating the board's rules of conduct and ethics and bullying board members and administrators. Scott warned that the governor had to intervene to remove Vassar from the chairmanship. Vassar called the allegations fabrications and a hit job. She called for a university uh, she called for a university culture and climate assessment instead. That didn't happen. This 66-page report by a D.C. law firm substantiated some, but not all, of the allegations. The report concluded that in addition to Vassar, trustee Dennis Denno also violated university policy. The report goes on to say that the conduct by Vassar and Denno engaged in conduct that exceeded the scope of their authority. Chris, you might remember last fall, um, it, uh, the board made an attempt to remove Vassar during a four-hour often emotional board meeting in which there were outbursts from the audience and long speeches. The action failed, though, and that led to this outside investigation instead of an internal one by MSU. Vassar's lawyer said in a statement that she's cooperated with this investigation, including 15 hours of interviews, but she had not fully examined the report. And Scott, in a statement, said that she uh, said about the report that she corroborated, uh, it rather corroborated much of what she had alleged and more. So she feels vindicated. Well, this is just another, you know, it's a, it's another thing that Michigan State is having to deal with. That yep. now you've got board of trustees that are that are up for removal. And and I, I guess what would be the next steps here for the governor if she decides to take that step? Well, now it's in her court. So whatever happens there is, you know, an internal thing, however that would unfold. But it is now, it, it's been recommended. I'm sure they will either act on that or not. 
What was interesting, too, about this report was that in, um, it also concluded that in light of the Larry Nassar scandal, it was such a shaking uh, shakeup at MSU, such a seismic event, that um, the board ended up taking on perhaps too much um, responsibility and governance, maybe more than it should have. In other words, overstepped. And therefore, that's why some of these things may have arisen, because, you know, it has been um, a real uh, issue at the board. There've been a, there's been a lot of controversy, a lot of infighting, and a lot of it, as we saw in October, was public. If you remember seeing some clips of that, oh, yeah. it, was in, it was embarrassing that the board would, would behave in that way. And this law firm concluded that in this uh, investigation as well, saying, you know, this wasn't good for the university to see that. Well, and, and that's really the heart of it is these these board members at any university, especially elected board members, are, uh, are, are supposed to be good stewards of the university. And I'm not saying that they haven't been, but according to that report, they haven't been. So uh, the governor's got some some interesting decisions mm-hmm. to make here uh, if, if she wants to uh, potentially clean up her alma mater's uh, uh, board. Uh, Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Thank you. Also, breaking news today, Justin Amash, the congressman, former congressman out of Western Michigan, throwing his name into the ring for U.S. Senate here in Michigan. We'll talk to him later this hour. But first, uh, coming up next, Danny Davis joins us from Defense Priorities. We'll talk about the situation in Gaza and if that situation is going to hinder a potential ceasefire. That's next on JR Afternoon. All right, so as we parse through reports of over 100 people, dead in Gaza City, the Palestinian Health Ministry says that those people died as they were waiting for food and water and other humanitarian aid inside Gaza City. Uh, Israel's military saying that there were shots fired, but only to people who seemed to present some sort of threat Uh, Otherwise, a majority of people were either killed or hurt in a stampede in in a in a in a huge crowd of people uh, as they were trying to gain that aid, that humanitarian aid from those convoy trucks. I would have to imagine as this is under investigation by the IDF, this is going to throw a monkey wrench into into these ongoing negotiations uh, that are being done in places like Qatar between the the Israelis and and Hamas, uh, partly being uh, helped out and mediated by the United States, places like Qatar and Egypt, also in the mix. What 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 type of problems could arise because of this particular deadly incident? Uh, Danny Davis, uh, of course, you've heard him here on this show a number of times, Lieutenant Colonel, uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel at Defense Priorities, and host of Daniel Davis Deep Dive on YouTube. Uh, he joins us once again. Danny, it's great to have you back. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This situation seems like it's, it is one where uh, if you read it, uh, kind of read the tea leaves on the outside, people trying to gain aid and, and potentially mowed down by gunfire, uh, how is this going to impact these ceasefire negotiations that are ongoing? Well, look, I mean, even before we're worried about what kind of monkey wrench it may throw into, we just need to look at the substance of what's going on here. The reason why that there was all this problem in a stampede, if you've seen any of the video, the 
some of which I've seen posted on the Washington Post this afternoon. Uh, it, it literally looks like ants just swarming mm-hmm. these trucks because these people had been there, the thousands of them had been waiting in this location for the previous night because they are literally starving to death. And there's many aid agencies that are worrying about this. Uh, and so when that food came in, their their lives are literally on the on the stake. So there's no order. There's just every man for themselves. And then of course now that you add in some gunfire, then it doesn't take much to understand how there's going to be a stampede and that kind of chaos. But the, you know the real question is, why are they starving? Why are is food not getting in there? Aside from you know issues related to the negotiations, and of course everybody wants the the ceasefire to happen so that the hostages can get released. But look, we ought to care as much about the Palestinian people who are dying sure. in large numbers all the time. That's that's I think the bigger issue. And and how big? I mean, I know the United States and even uh, President Biden has said recently that that the United States may start airdropping uh, uh, aid in. What is the 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 situation there? I mean, th- there is no escape certainly for Palestinians in Gaza. Uh, they are being forced uh, to all different uh, quadrants and segments of of the strip, uh, particularly down south. What is the, the the current situation in the in the strip and for people who who are who are pinned in there? Yeah, you see that, that Netanyahu is continuing to be emphatic that negotiations are no negotiations. He's still planning on uh, launching an offensive into Rafah in the the last major stronghold in the south, right next to the Egyptian border. And he keeps telling everybody, well, you can go north. You can go to areas we've already cleared, but there's no path for that. There's no food. Already there's about 300,000 Palestinians in the northern part of the Gaza City area that are, are on the brink of starting to starve to death because they can't get any food up that far. Uh, so you see everywhere you want to look, there's problems. Yeah, I don't know if you saw, but uh, earlier this morning uh, in testimony on Capitol Hill, Secretary of Defense Austin uh, said that there had been 25,000 women and children alone had been killed so far in this. And that's a shocking number by itself. And so there's got to be more pressure than just President Biden saying, hey, I'm going to airdrop some food in there. More firm action has to be taken to stop this catastrophe before it turns into an all-out debacle. So what is the answer? I mean, what is that? What is the solution here? Because we've heard politicians say, well, we need a solution. But what, but what does that look yeah. like? Yeah, I'll tell you flat out that the solution is right now an immediate ceasefire and a prioritization of the individual, of the Palestinian people who are on the brink of starving to death in large numbers. That's absolutely step one, period, full stop. Because if you don't do that, if you want to try to make these negotiations and other things, which all take a lot of time, if that has to precede that, then you're condemning even more people to unnecessary death. So that has to happen first. Once you can get the the fighting stopped and the killing stopped and large amounts of aid in to support these people, now then you can do the longer work to get the negotiated settlements and all kinds of other things done. All that takes a lot of time. But the first step is absolutely stop the fighting. There was also, uh, I I saw a story that there is potentially underway, I I believe they're meeting in Russia, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, factions of of Palestinians and and I believe even uh, representatives of Hamas uh, are meeting to try to form some sort of of group that would be able to govern inside Gaza if if Hamas is taken out or removed. What what a, a type of change would that represent in the Gaza Strip if if 
true Palestinians were in charge as opposed to, you know, a, a group of terrorists. Well, see, that's part of the problem that Netanyahu is creating in that he's saying he will not allow, you know, Hamas under any name to continue to administratively rule in Gaza Strip. He won't allow the Palestinian Authority. And there is no other entities. And he's doing nothing to ha- create one. So he's creating a situation where the only option is an Israeli military uh, occupation and administration. And, and, of course, that won't be seen as, as uh, uh, viable in the eyes of the Palestinian people. So that you've got to find someone new that the Palestinian people support and endorse, even for an interim government. And, and unfortunately, I, I mean, you know, Russia has tried to do this, but you know, who's, who in the West is going to pay any attention to what Russia says? So I don't know that there's a lot of fruit to be had there, but somebody's going to have to. If Israel wants any possibility of, of a peace and, and coexistence within the Palestinian thrift, once the fighting does end. What's the, the, the sentiment, do you feel, against Bibi inside Israel? Um, because it's it's easy to to say in wartime generally your your the leaders of your country are are backed right but but I think there is some sense that that Netanyahu may be heavy handed here what's the what what's the reaction inside Israel uh, yeah. on the direction of Benjamin Netanyahu there's an there's an interesting dynamic at play here it doesn't get any coverage and I would say not much but I haven't seen any coverage in Western media especially in the U S that there are large-scale protests going on inside Tel Aviv, inside of Israel, against Netanyahu. They, they, they suppress that news, but it's out there all the time because there's a significant portion of the people that are against this war. They want it to end. They want to get their hostages back. They want that prioritized instead of conquering territory, whatever. But then there's also an even bigger block of the Israeli society that's totally good with what Netanyahu's doing. That's why they were elected in the first place. And they're saying, yeah, keep going. Don't stop. Uh, and they're fine with the casualty count, frankly. Uh, so that keeps Netanyahu afloat. And so there's, when the war is over, I think by all accounts, politically, Netanyahu will definitely be uh, removed from power. But until that time, it appears that he has enough domestic support on him, from his side and his political uh, parties to keep him in power, uh, however long the war keeps going. I've, I've actually talked to some experts recently, and they said they, uh, even though he's unpopular among many, even on his side, they're not going to take any action to remove him until the situation is solved on the ground, or at least according to their, their hopes. I got about thirty seconds left here. Uh, we we lost a, a, a serviceman, an airman uh, in the United States uh, in a in a horrific protesting incident, uh, 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 based on what's happening in Palestine. What were your thoughts on that? It, just a couple seconds here. Uh, yeah, it, it was egregious to me that that somebody felt that strongly about it that they took that kind of an action. But you know, I I don't know if it's a canary in the coal mine, but I think that more and more people in America are starting to come to that view. Yeah. Uh, interesting stuff. Danny Davis, always great to, to hear your perspective on what's going on in, in some really important areas in the world. Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks. Yep. Uh, we'll, we'll talk again very soon. In the meantime, got to take a break. Justin Amash coming up next on JR Afternoon. Well, Justin Amash spent 10 years on Capitol Hill in the House of Representatives representing the, the, the Grand Rapids area. And uh, he did step away. He also uh, was was thrust into the spotlight uh, after being the only Republican to support impeaching Donald Trump in his first impeachment. Um, And this is somebody who who was one of the co-founders of the House Freedom Caucus 
back in 2015. Um, and he has uh, elected to throw his hat back into the political ring, running for U.S. Senate here in the state of Michigan. And Justin Amash, the former congressman, joins me this afternoon on JR Afternoon. Justin Amash, good to have you back. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Why, uh, why get back into the into the political arena now? Because the time is right. We need someone to reign in government, and I'm the guy to do it. How do, and how do we do that? How do we do that in time when when these two parties seem like they couldn't be further apart? When these two parties seem to be taking opposite stances or opposite opinions or opposite actions on seemingly every issue? How do we get to that point? Well, I think that's where I come in. You know, a lot of the polarization we see is fabricated. It's um, theater by these two parties where you have people in Washington who, for the most part, agree with each other, Republicans and Democrats, voting to grow the size of government, increase spending, increase the debt, fund illegal wars, uh, spy on Americans without um, a warrant, and we at home are led to believe that they're constantly at war with each other. They're, they're battling each other. They don't like each other. And that does come through in like a lot of the, um, the theatrics you see um, on the daily news and on social media, but on the most important issues of the day, they're actually pretty aligned. And what you need is someone in there who's willing to stand up to all of them and say, no, we're not going to do that. No, I'm not going to let you uh, pass a bill that nobody read. That we're going to we're going to let the American people know about what's going on. And um, and when I was in Congress, I used to explain all my votes so people at home could follow along and see the kind of phony nonsense that was going on in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. I wanted to expose it all, and I have an opportunity here to expose it again. And I think it's more urgent now than even before. Well, it sounds like you did your due diligence. You established that exploratory committee, and and you decided to 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 pull the trigger and go ahead and and, and campaign for for uh, Debbie Stabenow's seat. When it comes to what what you're hearing from people, not just in West Michigan, but people all across the state, what what are the the what is the number one issue that you feel like will be uh, of most priority to to voters here in the state? Well, I really think that. Feeling represented in Congress is a critical issue, and it's the one that people deep down most care about, even if they don't think about it at first. It's that they are electing people to Washington, and those people actually end up having very little power because people at the top, Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, they decide everything. They work with Joe Biden or whoever the president is at the time. They decide everything. And then they tell the other members of Congress, take it or leave it. And they're trying to do that right now with the spending legislation. They're doing it as we speak. It's all take it or leave it. And so what I say to people when we have conversations is there are issues you care about. You care a lot about the economy. You care a lot about civil liberties. You care a lot about war. You care a lot about a whole bunch of things. But the problem is your member of Congress never gets to actually have input on those things because they're told to take it or leave it, no amendments, no participation, nothing. 
And, and so for me, the number one issue is making sure that not just my voice is heard in the Senate, but that everyone's voice is heard. Because we elect senators from across the country, two senators for each state, and there are representatives in the House that you're electing from each district. And most of these people don't get to actually represent their constituents. So that's the number one issue. Beyond that, I think the economy is critically important. I'm worried about things like a central bank digital currency. I'm worried about inflation. You know, we can talk about how inflation has come down, but it's still a lot more expensive to go buy things today than it was a couple of years ago. So people are concerned about that. And that has a lot to do with the Federal Reserve and how that operates. And then I'm concerned about the Bill of Rights, protecting all our rights. The First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the Fourth Amendment, our right to um, be secure Mm -hmm. from unconstitutional searches and seizures. People are uh, trying to take our information now without a warrant. And this is, again, where I have a big issue with one of the other candidates um, in the race, Mike Rogers and, and Alyssa Slotkin both of whom have supported unconstitutional warrantless surveillance. So there are a lot of reasons to get into this race. And I I think when it comes to issues, my positions, my principles are more aligned with the primary voters and and also the general election voters than any of the candidates currently in the race. You also talked about in your announcement on X, uh, your your heritage. Uh, Your father was a Palestinian refugee. Your mother was Syrian. Um, so I, I imagine you're keeping close tabs on what's happening in the Middle East. What are your thoughts there, and, and how would you advise an administration uh, to to handle what's going on in Israel and Gaza? Yeah, it's a terrible situation over there. It's a terrible situation. And um, we, of course, mourn for those who were brutally killed on October 7th in a terrorist attack. We also have to mourn the millions of people in Gaza who are facing assault, most of whom are just innocent women and children and and others who have nothing to do with terrorism. And in fact, my family are Palestinian Christians, and I have relatives in Gaza who were Mm -hmm. killed, who were killed. So I've lost family in this conflict, and I want peace between all the people over there. Israelis, Palestinians, uh, Jews, Christians, and Muslims. I want peace for all of them. And so what I think the United States needs to do is make sure that it uses the leverage we have with the Israeli government, with our other partners in the Middle East. There are a number of countries over there who receive weapons from us, who receive funding from us. And we need to use the leverage we have to ensure that we are not becoming complicit in an ongoing conflict one way or another. Whether that's putting pressure on Israel or putting, or putting pressure on Arab countries in the region. Sure. We as the United States need to use our leverage. Well, I'm I'm sorry to hear that about your family. Um, It is a, 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 a really unfortunate reality of what we're seeing there. And and you're, you're right. Thousands of women and children uh, losing their lives as well. In the meantime, um, you know, when you left Congress, you left uh, after supporting uh, Donald Trump's impeachment. Uh, since then, 
after Peter Meyer won control of your seat, he was primaried and lost, and uh, and and consequently the Democrats flipped that seat and is represented by by a Democrat now uh, in West Michigan, Hillary Shulton. Uh, how do how do you how do you expect your entrance into this race to be taken by? Republicans like Donald Trump or or those that are are vehemently supporting him. How, how do you clear that hurdle? Do you think? Well, Donald Trump and I don't see eye to eye on everything. Obviously, um, I've had disagreements with him over a whole host of things. A lot of which doesn't even make into the news, um, sure. like on the ongoing wars um, that he signed, FISA seven hundred two, which was a surveillance law he uh, threatened to veto against me when i tried to stop it so i was trying to protect people's rights in a lot of these disagreements at the same time one thing that any person can know whether it's donald trump or any other president is that if they're doing the right thing i will support them in that and when they're doing the wrong thing i'll challenge them because that's my job as an elected official my job is to represent people at home it's not to just fall in line with one person or another. And what you can count on with me is that I'll be myself. I'll be the person that I told the people I was. When I go out and campaign and I tell you these are my principles, those are my principles and I'll stick by them. A lot of these other people, you'll see other candidates in the race who are just changing their tune from like year to year based on what seems popular. Um, Mike Rogers is trying to pretend like he wasn't the surveillance king throughout his time in Congress. I mean, no man loved warrantless surveillance more than Mike Rogers. And now he's pretending like, oh, we got to rein in the FBI. You were the one promoting the FBI's unconstitutional surveillance. So you have a lot of phonies who run for office. And I'm going to stand against these phonies. And I, if there's one thing I know about Donald Trump, whatever our disagreements, I think he goes out and he speaks his mind. And he could count on me as a person who will speak my mind. It doesn't mean that I'm always going to agree with him. But sure. if he's right, and, 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 but if he's and right I think I'll that speak my mind in agreement. Sure, I think that's probably something that voters uh, would, would be uh, interested in hearing and, and probably like to hear. Justin Amash, uh, thanks for the time as always. Congratulations on the announcement. We'll talk again very soon. Yeah, thanks so much. Take care. Yep, you, you got it. That's Justin Amash announcing his bid for the race uh, here for United States Senate. Got to take a break. James White, the Detroit police chief, joins me next here on JR Afternoon. Well, it's always an honor to be invited to the White House to speak. And when you've got good news, I got to imagine it's particularly sweet. That's a situation that our Detroit police chief, James White, found himself in yesterday. And he joins us here on JR Afternoon. Chief, it's great to have you back. Thank you for having me. Uh, you got to go tout Detroit. You got to speak very highly of Detroit yesterday. We we talked about this when you released the numbers a couple of weeks ago. But the the your crime rate has fallen in the city of Detroit. And while um, it's not at zero, which is uh, the the ideal number, uh, things are have trend in the right direction. And and you got to talk to the president. And you got to address the White House yesterday. Tell me a little bit about about yesterday for you. Yeah, well, thank you again um, for, for having me to discuss this. Um, you know, I was invited down. This is my second time uh, being invited to uh, Washington and uh, been honored and, and, and certainly uh, proud each time. Yesterday, 
uh, I had the privilege of introducing the President of the United States, uh, something I, in my life I never thought I would have the opportunity to do. Uh, and it is because of the hard work of the men and women of the Detroit Police Department where uh, you know, we've seen some significant uh, reductions in violent crime in our city in 2023, and we're off to a, a pretty promising start in 24. So aside from the, the the men and women of the department, which I know you you put a, a lot of credit to, what 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 else contributed to this? How did you end up at the White House? What what was it specifically that that uh, was a, a help to you in order to get these numbers down to where they are? Well, I was one of uh, seven chiefs that was invited, and I, again, I had the privilege of introducing the president and giving uh, a, a very quick speech about our work. Um, what contributed is very, very uh, complex, but simple, right? I mean, I know that doesn't make sense, but let me explain. The complexity is bringing the people to the table and working together. The simplicity is it starts with our community being really sick and tired of the violence in our community uh, and agreeing uh, to, to work with the police. You know, we have a wonderful community. We only talk about a few when it comes to, to crime, but those few don't represent the whole. And I think in large part, our community is sick and tired of the, the, the unnecessary violence, the, the gun violence, the impulse decision-making, um, and, and, and a lot of our kids just getting in trouble unnecessarily and, and ruining their lives. So they've partnered with us, uh, and then at a more comprehensive and, and complex level, uh, we've got the right people at the table with our partners, with uh, our, 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 you know, our courts, uh, our, our, our Wayne County executive our prosecutor, uh, a very dynamic U.S. attorney in Don Ison, the mayor's office, and all those things working together uh, to help drive crime down and the trust of our community that when something happens, they can confidently uh, share that information with the police and know that we're going to, A, keep it confidential, B, uh, work very hard to get those perpetrators off the street. You know, it, it wasn't that long ago where there were calls to to – take money away from police departments all across the country. And I think everybody realized that that wasn't the answer. It was, we we, we probably need to be funding our police at a higher rate, especially uh, here in the city of Detroit, where crime is traditionally high, violent crime is traditionally high. And if you use that money in, in the right way, if you're able to, to continue to train your officers the right way, then you start to see things being done the right way. And I know this administration has has, uh, put out billions of dollars to police agencies all across the country. I imagine Detroit has has benefited from that as well. We we have. Our our American Rescue dollars we've used um, very effectively. Um, We've, you know, with a new training facility, we've got new cars uh, for officers to respond to gun violence. Uh, our mental health co-response unit, you know, one of the things that the pandemic brought that no one saw coming uh, is a significant, and I mean a significant, increase in mental health crisis calls. Uh, so we've used some of our dollars uh, to be able to expand our mental health co-response that puts a actual mental health professional uh, in the car with the, with the trained officer to respond to these folks in crisis. Uh, we also have some assigned to our 911 dispatch call center. So when the calls come in, you're now talking to a mental health professional with that call taker to assist someone who's in mental health crisis. So all of those things working together, um, you know, and, and, and really I, I can't emphasize it enough, the officers, you know, our mayor, our city council, 
uh, unanimously approved uh, a $10,000 raise for our officers. That allows me to mm. put a lot of officers on the street. Um, you know, since the raise, our attrition rate has dropped significantly. Uh, I've got officers. I got 40 uh, officers a month going through the academy. Uh, got an additional 200 are on the street. Uh, this summer, I'm putting another 140 on the street. And you're going to see them out there. They're not just going in scout cars. They're going to be out mm. in the communities. And we're going to do a lot of different type of programming this summer. Um, a lot of foot beats. Uh, you're going to think you're back in the uh, 80s and 90s with the foot beats, but I think they're effective <laughs> ways of getting to know, getting to sure. know your community. Well, I think it's a, I think it's great. I think any of that community engagement it, it goes a long way and, and hopefully drives some of these numbers down uh, even further. Did Did you have a moment to soak it in? Did you? I know you were you were thinking about what you were going to say, part of the speech, and 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 just trying to keep focus on the task at hand, which I know you, you, you pride yourself in, but were you able to just, as you were standing there, take a moment and soak it in and realize what was going on? You know, I, I did. It hit me right, probably at the worst time, right when I was giving the speech. And I just had a moment, <laughs> uh, right. I mean, it's so much going through your head and then that moment yep. happens. Yep. Uh, and just thinking, you know, as a, a, a young kid in Detroit, um, extraordinarily humble beginnings in my family. Uh, my mom is deceased and uh, died very young. And I was just thinking, you know, I hope my mom is, is, is looking at me right now because who would have ever thought mm. I would have this amazing opportunity. And I just felt a tremendous amount of pride for the city and pride for the department and, and, and just happy to be the face of the police department at a time when the work of the officers is getting so much acknowledgement. But I do want to say this. We are not planning a parade, and we are certainly not declaring victory over crime. We got a tremendous amount of work to do. I'm sure you just saw we had an 11-year-old uh, mm. that was murdered. Yep. Uh, we, we, we made the arrests, and we got the, the violent offenders off the street, but we still got a lost 11-year-old wow. child that will never be sure. able to, to live, you know, what she, her, sure. her life to your expectations. The, the work is never done. And chief, that's, that's, uh, I think one thing that we all very much respect about you. Thank you so much. Congratulations on getting to go out there and we'll talk again very soon. All right. Thanks for having me. Have a good day. Yep. Yep. You do the same. That's Detroit police chief James White. Got to take a break. Welcome back. Three o'clock hour. Good to have you. Uh, I want to give these tickets away. Jim Gaffigan coming to town later this year. His Barely Alive Tour, I need you to be caller number 9, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Get you a pair of tickets to see superstar comedian Jim Gaffigan when he brings his Barely Alive Tour to Detroit's Fox Theater, Friday, November 22nd. Also, for a bonus chance to win, text the keyword funny, which he is, funny, to 800-859-0957. Official rules at WGR.com. Tickets are on sale starting at 10 a.m. tomorrow at Ticketmaster uh, Outlets and Ticketmaster.com. Uh, that'll be there for you. Uh, in the meantime, um, lots of news today. The presidents <laughs> are down at the southern border today. Uh, President Joe Biden, uh, he has situated himself down in Brownsville, Texas which is a less uh, a less trafficked port of entry, Brownsville. Uh, I believe it was Monday there were 12 apprehensions 
Whereas in Eagle Pass, where Donald Trump is today, there were 500 plus. So a, a busier crossing, certainly, where Donald Trump is. And, and that has been uh, one of the, uh, the, the hot spots, the, 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 one of the border crossings of, of note, the ones that have been uh, under the microscope, certainly. But Brownsville, not so much. Kind of the opposite situation. So the president, Biden, in Brownsville, Donald Trump, the former president, is in Eagle Pass. Uh, Interesting, though, today, the Border Patrol Union tweeted out this morning, attention, President Biden, keep our name out of your mouth today. Interesting. The White House, in a statement today, saying that the president was going to speak with uh, Border Patrol, ICE agents, and afterwards he'll deliver remarks to emphasize the need for congressional Republicans to stop putting politics ahead of our border security uh, and pass the bipartisan border security agreement. That's according to the White House. Um, But I think if you listen to um, a number of different people, that the the president does have the ability to to take action here. And I, I think it was, I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast, and ironically with Dr. Phil, who went down and, and interviewed a bunch of folks. And Dr. Phil was saying that uh, the reason he went down basically was because nobody in the media, the 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 national media, were, were going down and getting the full picture. So he went down and he talked to uh, Border Patrol agents and the head of the Border Patrol and asked them, you know, what they need. And they said that they, they didn't need more money. They didn't need more people. They just needed the federal government to allow them to do their jobs, which is uphold the laws, which is allow them to do the things that they are supposed to be doing according to our laws that are on the books. And that, to me, is a very interesting take. It's a very interesting look. Uh, and so they are going to uh, both President Joe Biden, former President Donald Trump, expected to make statements uh, today. As a matter of fact, probably not too long from now. So we'll keep an eye on uh, on that. Uh, also, if you missed our conversation with Justin Amash, the former congressman from West Michigan, thegreatvoice.com, WJR.com, he has thrown his his hat into the ring for U.S. Senate here in the state of Michigan, joining a, a, a very loaded field, a, a field that consists of uh, former Congressman Mike Rogers, uh, Sandy Pensler, uh, a businessman here from the state of Michigan, um, uh, who else am I forgetting? I'm forgetting uh, one other b- big person, at least on the Republican side of things. Um, and and so, regardless, it's a very busy field. Uh, plus, you've got, uh, on the Democratic side uh, of things, uh, a number of, of hitters as well. So, it, this is a, a very busy field for, for U.S. Senate. And so, Justin Amash throwing his hat into the ring as well. Uh, also, coming up at 318, we're going to talk about the border. We're going to talk about Chinese nationals entering the United States illegally. What are they doing? What needs to be done? They are generally coming through uh, uh, the California, one of the California crossings. Why are they coming? Why have the numbers increased 
to the levels that they have. We'll do that coming up at 318. But in the meantime, more people think that smoking pot has little effect to do with cardiovascular health, but a new study is challenging that very thinking. WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne joins us to take a look at the newest research. Hi, Marie. Hi, Chris. A lot of people have wondered about this. So this study was done at the Massachusetts General Hospital. You can find the details in the Journal of the American Heart Association this week. Uh, They studied 430,000 adults, so it was a big study. Researchers found that cannabis could significantly increase the risk of heart attacks and strokes. In addition, the risks rose the more frequently marijuana was used. Looking a little closer at the numbers, daily cannabis users had 25% higher likelihood of a heart attack, 42% higher for a stroke than people who never smoked. People who used marijuana just once a week had 3% increase in the likelihood of a heart attack, 5% a higher risk of a stroke during the study time frame. Data from the CDC indicates that just over 48 million Americans, that's about 15% of the population, reported using cannabis at least once in 2019. As we know, Michigan uh, has legalized pot for recreational use. There's 24 states altogether. Nearly 75% of the people in this study reported smoking as the most common way to get high, but they also consumed edibles and vaped, though the study did not specifically look at the risks of smoking marijuana compared to the edibles, but researchers noted that smoking cannabis, is, which is most how most people use it, may uh, have additional risks because of that particular matter, particulate matter that is inhaled. It is not clear if this paper, whether marijuana is directly causing heart attacks and strokes or if people who were already at risk are the ones who are um, more at risk than to getting into deeper trouble. Overall, researchers said more rigorous and targeted research is needed before drawing a direct conclusion that pot causes strokes and heart attacks. However, this was a large scale study, Chris, and it found some very important concerns. Well, it's it it is certainly an interesting look. Does, does that? Uh, I mean, I I think you know that that the what the potential adverse effects of using marijuana is, particularly on your heart, your system. Um, does it show that people are still the 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 usages are still up and and potentially rising? Uh, that's this study did not look at those numbers okay. uh, to see you know is is uh, usage on the rise. But again, 48 million people, that's about 15% of the population used pot in 20 or used cannabis in 2019. So that's a that's a good number of people. It is a good number of people. And as more states decriminalize it, yeah, uh, as the federal government potentially moves towards decriminalizing or legalizing marijuana, um, you, you would I mean, you'd have to venture to guess that more even more people would potentially use it even more people starting uh at at the age of whatever it is 18 21 um and and so no i i think this is probably of grave concern yeah and one of the interesting things that the researchers said on on this kind of an overview they said um they remember uh, when you look back in history in the 50s and 60s, when the early research was done on cigarettes and cigarette smoke, we didn't really know what the health impacts were at the time. You know, we just we had a guess, but we didn't really know. And this researcher said that's kind of where we're at right now with this cannabis that, you know, we're getting an idea that it might be unhealthy in terms of your cardiovascular system. But we need more research. But it sure is pointing in that direction.
Mm, interesting. Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, we got to take a break. We're talking the border next on JR Afternoon. So according to Border Patrol, in the fiscal year 2021, there were 450 encounters with Chinese migrants at, at the southern border. Since October of 2023, that's, that's this fiscal year, so almost six months, five months, that number is up 4,000%. There have been more than 20,000 Chinese migrants entering the United States at the southern border since October of last year. It is a wildly disproportionate number. So why? Why are more Chinese migrants making their way to the southern border? Shea Bradley Farrell is the president of Counterpoint Institute for Policy Research and Education and joins us. Shea, it's good to have you. Hey, Chris. Thanks so much for having me on. This is an important topic. It is. Explain to me why we're seeing such an uptick. (laughs) Well, I believe because we have forecasts through the entire world that our borders are open. Um, We know from experience that when people know there are consequences for coming to our country illegally, that many, many less people come. So it's part of the uh, process that the Border Patrol uses to keep people from coming. But let me give you some more data on that that will absolutely blow your mind. I I just had an op-ed come out uh, uh, yesterday, I think, in the Washington Examiner about this. And I did a deep dive, and we, in the past three years under Biden, 113,000 Chinese nationals have come here illegally, and uh, that's compared compare that with the decade before Biden was in office, only a total of 15,000 came. So, you know, you'd have to be stupid not to assume that some of them are here to harm America. We know through the Homeland Security Committee that some of them are tied to the Chinese Communist Party and the People's Liberation Army of China. Um, So I I just have to ask the question, Chris, how many of them are here to sabotage our infrastructure or ahead of some sort of military invasion that China has in mind, either for us down the road or soon or, or even to distract us while China invades Taiwan? Yeah, and look, what I don't want to do is sound like a conspiracy theorist, but at the end of the day, these are the questions that come to my mind as well. And not only why are they coming here, why are they? Why are some buying uh, farmland or property next to military bases? Why? Right. Uh, how are they coming here? Who's funding it? That's not a cheap trip to come from China into Mexico or another country and then come up through Mexico to then come over the the United States border and then what have enough money to to buy land like that something is is amiss here and and I, I guess it's 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 beyond just how are they getting here it's how are they able to get here how do they have the funds to get yeah. here in the numbers that they are Yes, because it takes tens of thousands of dollars to do what they're doing. Most coming from China will go into Ecuador because it doesn't require a visa. And then they have to pay traffickers to take them up through the Durian Gap into the United States. I mean, it's it's not cheap. And the thing is, too, you know, the CCP knows who leaves their country. You have to get approval to leave the country. So, uh, you know, like I said, we know from the Homeland Security Committee, some are tied to the CCP. 
And there was, you know, a very startling letter, but I, I agree with it, that was sent to Congress about a month ago now by 10 former uh, senior FBI officials that actually called what you and I are talking about today a new and eminent danger to the United States. And, uh, you know, they said looking at it, it looks like a very strategically planned invasion. These were their words, an invasion on, on our homeland. Um, you know, we're, we have seen also Russian nationals sneaking across the border. Um, it's not sneaking now, the, the border is wide open. Uh, about two weeks ago, a guy from Afghanistan that's uh, on our terror watch list was arrested. Mm. But, you know, Biden is under his catch and release program, program. Anybody can come on in and we let them go into the interior of the U.S. In fact, we pay for them with buses and airplanes to go into the interior. Talk to me about their their the 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 path that they're taking. Um, I, I think it's the, the point of, um, you know, you don't just leave China. And and uh, the the government is okay with just not knowing where you're going or why you're going there. So it, it, it could be you could make the correlation that that the Chinese know. But we, we've also seen the the path that they're taking into California. Why are they taking that path in particular? Well, I think it has to do with um, convenience, because like I said, they can go to Ecuador and come up, you know, fly across the Pacific. Um, I think that there's a lot of land as well that is not defended at the border, um, even if you do count the fact that there is some border patrol that are allowed to actually patrol the border. And the FBI director just maybe two weeks ago was talking about the different ways that China approaches uh, opposing the United States. One of them is to plant human re human sources, excuse me, into the United States. Um, they do the same things, some of them, that the cyber uh, threat does. They collect data on uh, American citizens um, and send that back to China. So anyway, I, I think it's not unreasonable to think that this is a serious threat to the United States. You know, like I said, those 10 FBI officials agree with that. And interestingly enough, I tweeted my article a couple of days ago and General Michael Flynn retweeted it with his own thoughts on it, saying that he agreed. I mean, he's the mm. former director of, uh, of National Security Advisor and also the, the director of our national intelligence. So I, I think that we have a very serious threat and if Biden will not close our borders, which he has the presidential authority to do, he says he doesn't, that's a lie. Under the Immigration and Nationality Act, he has the authority to detain or remove or restrict people from coming in. If he won't do that, then we need the House to defund his open border nonsense, like the travel that I mentioned, and there are many other processes that we could defund. You know, I, I I had once talked to to one of my sources, and and they said that China was the our, our most serious threat. It wasn't Russia, it wasn't the Taliban, it wasn't terror groups around the world. It was it was it was the CCP, and part of the reason is not even just the stealing of the IP or the intellectual property of companies in the United States. It's the way that they infiltrate 
American businesses. For example, uh, a Chinese-owned company holds uh, a a majority stake in a company like Smithfield Foods, AMC Movie Theaters, the Chicago Stock Exchange, Legendary Entertainment. Like, they have uh, majority stakes in many companies that that, uh, Americans would have uh, strong name recognition for. So this idea of now you've got people coming into the United States. And look, I'm not saying that everybody is, uh, every Chinese national coming across the border is here for some nefarious purpose. But, but at the end of the day, you do have to ask the questions. And I, and I, and I think that's, that's why uh, folks like you are so important just to at least get those questions out there. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And yes, I agree with you. Some people are coming because, you know, they live under an authoritarian government or Mm -hmm. economic challenge whatever. But what if 1% of the 113,000, sure. which is about a thousand people, what if only a thousand are here to sabotage us? And you remember 9-11, it was like 19 or 20 that killed thousands of Americans. So, it, you know, it, it doesn't take a lot, Chris. And it's, it's an uncomfortable reality, I think, that, that, we, that we live in now. And it's just the unknown. Uh, not This is not broad brush paying that everybody's bad coming across the border. But but the reality is with this type of, of action that we're seeing at the southern border, um, the folks that are coming in, you, you just have to ask the questions of. Uh, really good stuff. Shea Bradley Farrell, thanks so much. Appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yep, we've got to take a break. More coming up next on JR Afternoon. Look, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. I, I, I certainly don't want to be an alarmist. It's not my, my, my bag. But what I will say is I don't paint with broad brushes. It's not what I do. I don't, just because a number of Chinese nationals are coming over via the border illegally, doesn't mean that everybody's bad. All right. It's it's that way with everybody. I'm sure there are people in in uh, Latin American countries that are coming to America because their living conditions are so atrocious. They are so poor that the only way for the only chance at a somewhat better life, I mean, any sort of step up is to go to the United States. I'm sure of it. I don't believe all these people are bad coming across. I believe they know that it's easier to come across now than maybe what it was five, ten years ago. But the reality is that's that's not it's it's not everybody bad. That's not the reality. And it, it certainly, I don't believe, is indicative on the people that are already here in this country. There are Chinese Americans that are incredible members of the community and and they have nothing to do with this. The reality is there are a a vast number of Chinese nationals coming across the border that we have not seen before. We have not seen these numbers before. In the first in the in the 10 years before Joe Biden took office, 15,000 Chinese nationals came across the border in 10 years. That's according to our last guest, Shea Bradley Farrell. In the three years since Joe Biden has been president, 113,000 Chinese nationals have come across the border. I mean, that that number is staggering. Why? The number is why. And you know me, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But at some point, you got to ask the questions, why is there a 
a huge increase of Chinese nationals coming across the United States southern border. Why? What are they doing? Why are they coming across now? Well, these are the questions that I think need to be asked. And I, I'd love to hear from you, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Because it's not like, well, these numbers have steadily gone up over the years. No, 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 no. These numbers are booming. They are booming. Again, why? What I don't want to do is make a mountain out of a molehill. So if you think this is crazy, if you think this is nonsensical, if you think this is blown out of proportion, let me know. But I don't I don't believe it is. I don't believe it is. You know, it's more difficult to come from China than it would be to come from any other South American state, Central American country. Uh, it, it, it's more difficult. I mean, the trip's longer. It's got to be more expensive. So wh- why? Why? And and how? Because. The Chinese government doesn't just let people go. Like, you can't just leave. It's, it's, it's a communist country. That's not how things work in a communist country. You don't just get to leave. You have to tell them why you're going. Or, or where you're going. Or how you're getting there. How much money you've paid to get there. Who you're traveling with. How many bags of luggage do you have? It's, it is all-encompassing. And I brought up this, this idea uh, because sources that I have talked to who have told me that China is our biggest threat, China is our biggest adversary, and they do it in different ways. And it's not just stealing IP. It's not just stealing intellectual property. It's buying businesses inside the United States. It's becoming ingrained in the culture. It's very similar to kind of what the Soviets were doing during the Cold War. This idea that that they wanted to change the mindset of Americans. If you slowly over time can deteriorate potentially the 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 strong feelings have people towards America or turn people against themselves or the government, you America then is a wounded animal. This is all true. So the reality is, is we have seen these things in, in our past, in history. And now we're seeing, in this case, more Chinese nationals coming across the border than uh, ever before. In, in, in droves. 800-859-0957. Let's go to Tim and Howell. He kicks us off. Hello, Tim. Hi, Chris. Yeah, I just want to make a comment. You were saying why people are, why they're coming here. And, you know, it's no different than a, a business owner, let's say a pizza parlor. I'm offering free pizza. You don't think you're going to be busy? You don't think people are mm. going to be coming into your business and wanting? As a matter of fact, when you even tell them, I'm going to pay you to come in and have my pizza, um, this is why you're having what you're having going on. And, and, I mean, if you want to stop the problem or you think there's a problem, you know, you cut the money off, and I can guarantee it'll dry up. But until that yeah, happens, no, and that's going to happen. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair take. I mean, I, I I can see that take from 
you know, the Hondurases of the worlds, the Guatemalans of the worlds, uh, uh, you know, the places in Mexico where people are coming from horrific situations uh, uh, being run by gangs and, and things like that. I, uh, th- those I, I, uh, I agree with. And I don't I mean, you're, the premise is exactly spot on. But this idea that Chinese people are coming over from China. Flying over to Central America, Mexico, South America, and then and then traveling up to the southern border. It's 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 an interesting phenomenon that has exploded over the last uh, less than a handful of years. So I I guess the the question is why? Why are more Chinese people coming across the southern border? Hal's in Shelby Township. What's up, Hal? Uh, Yeah, I know a lot of Chinese people. And uh, Mm -hmm. for many years, China was becoming more and more free. Uh, It became capitalistic. The standards of living came up. People were able to buy things. And it, it was moving in a strong direction. Since she has been in office, he is moving back. He is really a Maoist, and mm-hmm. he's cutting back from from the opening up of the country. He's cutting back on freedom. Uh, they, they've got this system, which they want in the United States now, where social rating, where if you do wrong things or do things the government doesn't like or say things bad, mm-hmm. they limit your freedom. It, it, it's becoming a bad, bad place. Even people that are not poor want to get out of there. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a it's a good point, Hal. I appreciate the call. Thank you. I want to go to Mike in Toledo quickly. Hello, Mike. Yeah, hi, Chris. Say uh, uh, two things. One is that at our cities are full of uh, um, crime, and and you know what's going on there. I don't have to explain that to anybody. And we can't get people to work. So my comment is that the uh, people coming across. Uh, are are going to be filling in the positions for the that the baby boomers are now retiring there's going to be a big gap of a workforce and any mm-hmm. country needs a workforce that's just the way it sure. is and that's the way it's going to be um so somebody's uh looking ahead and saying hey we need people to work and we got to let them in here all right mike i i appreciate it um you know i i uh, that very well could be it very well could be um, is that is that the the method we want to use to fill our workforce? Though I guess is the question. Um, some would say yes, some would say no. Yeah, well, go ahead, real quick, Mike. What's that? What other method is there? You see, one people uh, businesses needing workers all over the place, and it's just mm-hmm. going to get worse. Well, there's no doubt that people have changed the way they want to work. I mean, even even. You know, teenagers trying to, to to enter the workforce, their first job, first couple of jobs. I mean, that's that's drastically different than what it used to be. So, I mean, I I, I think there's some validity to that. I do. I think there is some validity to that. Um, we'll see how big of an issue it, it is going to be, but um, you know, certainly there is going to be some gaps that, that we need to fill via our workforce. Again, is that is that the way we want to do it? I don't know. All right, got to take a break. Steve Courtney joins me next here on JR Afternoon. Well, the Lions had a, a very successful season by by every metric. Uh, they fell a little short of where we wanted them to go, but it was a successful season. Uh, and every year following the season, the NFLPA, the Players Association, 
sends out a a poll for players to participate in, ranking their teams based on a number of different factors. Steve Courtney joins me to help break it all down. Hello, Stephen. What's going on there, Chris? Hello again, my friends. Let me just say this first. Uh, this conversation brought to you by the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Performance Remodeling, a preferred partner of the Inside Outside Guys, kicked off yet another $100,000 window of opportunity sweepstakes. Request your windows, roofing, and siding quote today. Log into windowsroofingsiding.com to enter the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Yes, the report card, Chris, you refer to worked like this. More than 1,700 players, up from 1,300 last year, participated in the survey between August and November. It was released by the NFLPA just yesterday. Players were asked to grade their teams on a variety of subjects, ranging from team facilities to coaching staffs to owners to food, that kind of thing. Interestingly enough, the two-time defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs were the second lowest graded team in the NFL. More on that in just a bit. The top two teams in the overall survey were the same as last year, though they switched places with the Miami Dolphins finishing ahead of the Minnesota Vikings this year. But the Chiefs' ranking stands out, you see, particularly since Andy Reid ranked first overall among 32 teams in the head coach category, which, by the way, is a new entry this year. Here's the rub. Chiefs owner Clark Hunt ranked last out of 32 team owners. Those grades were based on what players perceived as a willingness to invest in the team's facilities. The Chiefs stand out because they ranked poorly in many of the same categories last year. Chiefs players also said they were promised after the 2022 season that the locker room would be renovated. It was not. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals, let's talk about them for a second. Uh, they stopped... <laughs> This is 2024. This is crazy. They stopped charging players for meals, changed the floors and the, and the equipment in the weight room, and added a small family gathering room for game days. So they improved just because they're not charging for food anymore. Uh, meanwhile, the team that suffered the most significant drop was the Dallas Cowboys. They dropped from 5th to 12th overall. Uh, the main reason was the... D-plus grade that players gave the Cowboys training staff. Now, in the time that we have left, let's uh, focus on the little blue. It's over. Uh, they went like this. The Lions ranked 13th overall in the survey uh, with a notable mention of head coach Dan Campbell's high grade. The players clearly enjoy working for him with respondents calling out his willingness to listen to their locker room. The Lions hired a new training staff this offseason and the players noted in the responses that they could feel the improvement at the workplace and receive significantly more individualized care this season compared to last season. The food program, another area that players noted improvement from last year, with players noting that the food tastes better and, might I add, fresher. So uh, quickly an overview there, Christopher. Uh, treatment of families, the Lions get a B. That's eighth overall in the league. Food cafeteria, Lions got a C. That's 19th. The locker room, a B minus. That's 13th. The weight room, B plus. That's 12th. Team travel, very important amongst players. Uh, the uh, Lions got a B, which is eighth out of 32 teams. Head coach, how about this? Dan Campbell, 
coming through with an A-plus that is third overall in the league. And ownership, interesting. Uh, a lot has been made and celebrated about Sheila Fordham uh, and what she has done to put together uh, what we enjoyed this past season. A B-minus, which is 21st. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, and, and maybe that's just going to take time because I think there has been a, a you know, a, a more of a bleak look on ownership uh, for, for a number of years. So the fact that Sheila Fordham gets a B minus, I, I think that's trending in the right direction. What's so interesting here, Steve, and, and I've thought this every year they release these, the, the, the different ways that organizations run themselves, the ways that that uh, the things that they prioritize uh, is, is really interesting to me. Well, you know, you, you take a look and you would think uh, just on the outside looking in uh, that you've got the Kansas City Chiefs. They've won two Super Bowls in a row. And so you would think that the uh, players, while taking part in this survey, would give them absolutely glowing responses. That certainly was not the case, um, although they certainly appreciate Andy Reid. And, you know, I know I appreciate Andy Reid. Uh, and he got the highest overall mark of any head coach. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the ownership, Clark Hunt, uh, the Chiefs have been in the Hunt family forever and ever mm-hmm. and ever. And uh, I guess the Chiefs, uh, when they said that they were going to redo the locker room uh, because the players made note that they still have stools in front of their stalls as opposed to chairs, which barely doesn't go over very well, uh, the Chiefs said, well, you know, we were in the Super Bowl and – it pushed our season back, and we weren't able to uh, get to the renovations. Well, now they're in the same position. I imagine they'll use that same excuse. Well, you know, uh, we won another Super Bowl and just didn't have time to take care of what you were looking for. But what I think is interesting is, you know, having been around Allen Park quite a bit over the years, Chris, as you have as well, um, these players, they're constantly being fed if they want. And uh, but it's interesting that the players, you know, they have expectations as the quality of food. Uh, So, as I mentioned, not only is the quality of food better in Allen Park, but it tastes fresher, which is very important. It's the NFL for crying out loud. I mean, this is the best of the best. It's the top league. It should be the best. Uh, It's it's why. Yeah. What what was it? Uh, Cincinnati. Who, who did not offer three meals a day to their players, but now they do, but only on Wednesdays. Like, it's so weird how some of these teams do it. The, oh, you're telling me that the Kansas City Chiefs can't get their hands on 55 chairs, 53 chairs for their players? That, that, yeah. that, that to me, is lunacy. It's lunacy. It just doesn't make any sense. But the team that's probably the happiest, and that's a completely separate category, would be the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, they opened up a new training facility. They went from 28th to number five overall. Uh, last year's survey had players mentioning um, the fact with the new training facility, no more rats, <laughs> oh, which is a good ugh. thing. Huh? A good thing. NFL rats. teams having well, to deal I mean, with rats. Florida. And, I mean, well, yeah, but at least you know it's not gators. So I guess that's a good thing. Once again, Stephen, the Lions trending you. in the right direction. You betcha, Chris. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Steve Courtney.
Uh, always, always great stuff. Appreciate that. We'll talk to him tomorrow. Uh, in the meantime, that's going to do it for me. Uh, we will be tracking a number of pieces of news tomorrow as well for you. Uh, we very much appreciate you uh, hanging out uh, every day from 2 to 4. Also, if you miss any of our interviews, WJR.com, thegreatvoice.com. It'll have it all there for you. All right, it's going to do it for me. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a wonderful night. Mitch Elm and the crew next here on WJR.